What's up everybody, welcome back to the show. New studio, you can see that we are getting moved in, unboxed and getting settled. And I figured since tomorrow is Halloween, which is immediately followed by Day of the Dead, that I would pick a topic today that was somewhat seasonally appropriate. And so today I wanna to talk about photography and the occult, which is something I've not done on the show before. And it's actually a really interesting thing to look at historically, because there is a very fruitful period of images that were made between probably about 1870 to up to 1930 or so. And what's interesting is there was a bit of a rebirth of interest in this type of photography back in the 1970s when Sam Wagstaff, uh, who was a very well-known curator as well as uh, photography collector early on, uh, had an opportunity to purchase a collection, which he did buy, of images which are essentially clients in the 1860s and 1870s sitting with spirits of their deceased loved ones. And this is a really whimsically strange uh, part of the history of photography. And most of these images that he purchased were accredited to William H. Mumler, who was a photographer in the United States who actually had set up a business photographing post-mortem photography. You could come in for a fee as a client and you could get a photo with your deceased loved one. In the United States, we're coming out of the Civil War, which in a lot of ways was an extremely traumatic time for people. And when you consider that most people had lost family members and loved ones in this war, just the way that people react to preserving memories and being able to go in and get one last portrait with the spirit of the deceased before they move on um, was I think in some ways uh, therapeutic in terms of maybe a way to let it go and also at the same time a way to preserve their memory. These businesses did not run extremely smoothly. In fact, the whole idea of skepticism comes up pretty quickly. And not only were there police raids and there were investigators that were called in to spy on photographers and what was going on in their studio, but there was a major effort to bring people to trial for essentially defrauding the public with a business. And a lot of this happened at the time and a lot of these photographers had to go through that. Um, you know, in our eyes, it seemed, the whole thing seems almost ludicrous that even you could even pass these things off as being believable because these images are obviously done using multiple exposures. When you start looking at the difference uh, in work photographers a photographer and you start to see how different photographers interpreted apparitions or the spirits and it, it differs greatly so for instance when you look at William H. Mumler's photos they you know are pretty basic double exposures um, where the spirit is you know faded out somewhat but if you compare this to other photographers for instance uh, John Beatty from the UK uh, did a couple wonderful pictures of these gentlemen sitting around a Ouija board and the spirits in this sense are probably more of what we interpret on um, kind of trash TV today with ghost chasers and things like that where you see orbs and that's exactly what you see in these images. Um, also, you have Frederick Hudson who interpreted his apparitions as not having heads or faces. And this was kind of a predominant thing in his work adding to that mystery. Um, there was also the French photographer Edouard Isidore Bouget who he juxtaposed a smaller size to his spirits to make it look like maybe they had shed themselves of their physical bodies and are much different in proportion. Um, Eugene Thibault uh, did this wonderful picture of this skeleton, which I absolutely love, which has a sense of drama and is very whimsical and bizarre all at the same time. Um, you have William Hope dealing more with the orbs. And then there was also a gentleman named Stavely Bulford, who was a UK photographer who did interpretations using various animals as his apparitions. So we have things like the bird or the dog. Now, one of the weirder stories from this whole movie 
movement of spirit photography actually wasn't from a commercial photographer. It was from two young English girls. Elsie Wright, who was 16 at the time, and her younger cousin Frances Griffiths, who was 10, were playing in a field one day and had borrowed a friend's camera and decided to stage a group of photos of themselves posing with fairies. Now, it seems a little silly now, because you can tell in these photos that the fairies were actually cut out of a children's book and pasted onto cardboard. And this story probably wouldn't have gotten much attention at all if it weren't for the fact that Conan Doyle ran across these images and published them several times, saying that they were absolutely the first evidence of a real fairy's nest. In fact, he went on to defend them later, saying that there was absolutely no way that the image could images could have been fraudulent at all. Now, the funny thing about this is obviously, eventually, after getting a lot of press, people started to recognize the images from the children's book, and it was debunked pretty quickly. But it's interesting to me because I think this whole movement of spirit photography really is pretty corny looking in a lot of ways. It's pretty easy, even if you're not a photographer, to see what the manipulation technique was, which was using multiple exposures. But what's interesting to me is this willingness at the time to want to see the camera prove something that maybe was a fantasy or not real or that didn't exist. And whether that was a deceased relative or whether that was something like goblins or fairies or what have you, is that photography all of a sudden had, you know, it was viewed early on as a scientific medium only. And it was this way of capturing light and images and people thought that that was something to be real. And unfortunately, when you have that, you have a whole group of people that come in that want to try to do the Harry Houdini thing and create something that's entertaining I guess it's not unfortunate in, in, in that sense, but they're trying to create something and pass it off as being real that's not. Anyway, this is really interesting, and so far we've kind of talked about photography of spirits, and a lot of people will classify photography from this period, and again, I said it was about 1870 to 1930 or so, and the reason why it kind of exists in, in that 60-year period is prior to 1870, the technology was really out of the grasp of somebody um, just making vernacular photographs. It was just too complicated until about to 1870 when people kind of figured it out and could buy glass plates and film and, and do their development. And then when you get past about 1930, a lot of this really seems preposterous and the proliferation of photography at that time and media outlets and magazines and newspapers um, it becomes harder to pass something absurd off in a photograph as being real. So that's why you have this interesting chunk of time in there where a lot of this happens. Now up to this point we've been talking about photography of spirits and there's actually two other genres of this that art historians will refer to a lot of times. And there's one is the photography of fluids. I'll explain what both these mean. The other is photography of the medium. And photography of fluids is not uh, photographing water or something like that, but it was this this attempt to use photography as a means of discovery of the occult. And so a lot of things like, you know, not using a camera at all and actually pressing the human hand and seeing if there's a chemical reaction that would occur um, that could prove the existence of, you know, being able to make the, the invisible visible. Uh, you see this a lot. And really, in a lot of ways, this, this starts becoming into more legitimate discoveries when you look at radiology and x-rays and what some of the photography was done there. But most of the images that you see in this photography of fluids, and fluids refers to something human something, you know, the spirit, uh, something that would emanate from the body at some point, uh, the life force. And so, you know, photographing a hand on a piece of paper with no camera and just exposing it and seeing if the chemical elements and the physical elements of photography will unveil something that we haven't seen before. And this experiments were done with plants. They were done with all kinds of things. Some of the more interesting, um, and again, today they seem almost preposterous, uh, but one of the more interesting ones was a photography 
photo French photographer by the name of Louis Darget, who oddly enough was experimenting to see if one could photograph thoughts. And again, these weren't done with a camera, but they're really unusual and kind of quirky about how he went about going about this. I mean, this was something that was not proven. Photography is early, and so as corny as this idea seems to us today, this was obviously very natural for him to think at the time. This particular photograph we're looking at was made by placing the negative on his forehead and playing the piano whilst staring at a bust of Beethoven. And if that wasn't weird enough, obviously it left an abstract impression, as most of his work did, and the question of was whether or not that one could actually see Beethoven in the image. And so there were a number of different methods that people would, would go to. And obviously we know now that photography is a way of capturing light, and a lot of people wanted there to be maybe something else you could capture as well. And maybe this was some kind of transcommunication with another world or with the supernatural, or maybe this was something as strange as capturing one's thoughts. What's interesting is of the three genres we're talking about today, um, photography of fluids actually would include things like auras. And it's the one aspect that actually went, as I mentioned, into radiology and x-ray technology. But also, I think this is the one thing that survives today with the whole idea of the occult and the skepticism is when you have the ghost chasers that do TV shows or YouTube channels or whatever today that try to get orbs and evidence of the beyond. And they try to use um, the highest technology to, in their efforts to try to capture that. And so that was exactly when this started, was during this time with this whole notion of photography of fluids. Now the last one I want to talk about is photography of the medium. And real quick, I want to give a special shout out because they sponsor the show and they make this happen. I want to give a shout out to the awesome folks over at audible.com. Audible.com is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 180,000 titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. If you go through here, you can probably find something that is just right for Halloween. If you enjoy reading books but don't always have the time to sit and read, audiobooks are a wonderful way to get your reading done while you're on a commute or at the gym. And Audible have a deal for Art of Photography viewers right now where you can get your first book absolutely free. What you want to do is go to the following link. You want to go to audiblepodcast.com slash AOP. That is audiblepodcast.com dot com slash AOP that lets Audible know I sent you and you sign up for their service and there is no contract. You can cancel at any time if it doesn't work out and either way the first book is yours to keep absolutely free. So I want to give a special shout out and thanks to the folks at Audible for once again sponsoring another episode of The Art of Photography. The last one I want to talk about is photography of the medium, and this is the one that gets really bizarre and really quirky, um, in fact, downright creepy at times. And so what we mean when we talk about photography of the medium is when someone believes that they can communicate with the supernatural, and they believe that sometimes a medium is required to do that. Now, this could be a group of people sitting around a Ouija board. This could be one person in a trance. It could be a seance. There's some kind of medium that is delivered, and this gets very Ghostbusters. Uh, sometimes we have the whole idea of the ectoplasm. Um, and so you see a lot of these images with people with veils coming out of their mouths. In fact, we see time-lapse progressions um, claiming that this was truth, that this person actually was, was uh, giving birth to something of a materialization of some kind. Sometimes we see small doll heads. There was a very famous performer in Germany during this time who went by the stage name of Eva C. And she was um, drew a lot of controversy and was 
under most accounts, generally pretty bizarre as an individual. But she drew attention of many people, including Harry Houdini, who completely thought she was full of it. Uh, but there was a photographer, and I love this name. This is Albert von Schrenk-Notzing. And Albert von Schrenk-Notzing was particularly interested in the phenomenon of materialization. So when one goes into a trance and one is communicating with the other side, um, materialization of certain objects might occur. Props will enter the room. Um, you might see a floating head of some kind. Um, and so capturing, you know, these ideas of like, you know, a birthing of an ectoplasmic head or something like that, which really get really creepy and bizarre. Um, he worked a lot with Eva C. And he later on had several court cases that, you know, essentially ended up having to prove that his stuff was indeed fraudulent. And not real, which again seems funny to us today, but at that time that seemed more serious business. But even then, he believed in the occult so much that he really did believe that eventually he would accidentally come across and photograph something that was real, and that's one of the reasons he insisted upon keeping this stuff so secret. You know, as I mentioned, most of this was proven to be absolutely, um, you know, bogus in terms of, of the realness to it. But I think that this is a period in our cultural history where people really wanted to believe in something, and I think people looked at photography, and I guess in some ways we still do today, is something that they want to trust to believe in that. I think that we know today that, that certain things are very easy to manipulate in photography, and it is very possible that this period of photographs is why we look at that now. But anyway, this is a really fascinating topic, and I hope you guys have found this interesting. I will do some more on this because there's some specific people in this movement who I think deserve to be talked about a little more just because it's so bizarre. Um, they're definitely not considered, uh, you know, the finer photographers in the art world or the photojournalism world or anything like that. In fact, straight up vernacular in a lot of ways. But I do think it's important photography. Um, really, if you approach it without being a skeptic or a believer, just neutral in the middle, you can kind of see this as a period in human history and what people wanted to believe at a certain time and what people, how we were influenced at a certain time and the way we looked at photography because it is very different than the way we look at it today. So anyway, that's about all I got for you guys today. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please remember, we do have our crowdfunding campaign going on right now still. I have another 21 days to go, I believe, on that the time I'm filming this. And I'm really excited. Uh, we blew past the initial goal. I was looking for um, raising money to do some traveling for the artist series uh, to open up the kinds of photographers we um, can approach to have on and make more documentaries much in the style that I did with the John Free video that I did a few weeks ago. And so we blew past our goal pretty much immediately. And at the time I'm filming this, we're just over $11,000. We're like 11150 I think. And I am really blown away. Um, I just want to thank you guys again for that. And if you'd like to get involved, I will produce as many videos as we have money to do in here, and I will do as much traveling as we do. We probably are going to be looking at international travel right now, I've got a lot of emails out, and as soon as I get a confirmation, I'm going to announce who the first photographer is going to be. I think I've got that sewed up, but I do need a physical confirmation from them to let me know that we're going to do that. But anyway, I'm really excited about that. So if you uh, click on the link in the show description over on Rocket Hub, that will take you there, and you can check it out. And I really want to thank everybody who's helped contribute that this far. Anyway, guys, that's about all I got for today. I'll see you all in the next episode. Later.